Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Happy Mother's Day again. And we hope, moms, you have a great day today. That your children would rise up and call you blessed. Well, today we're here to celebrate Mother's Day. And the title of my message is Celebrate Mom. So that's exactly what we want to do today is celebrate mothers. And that's what my message is going to be about. The scripture says to give honor to whom honor is due, right? I can't think of anybody more worthy of honor than mothers, honestly. You know, the world thinks of success in terms of your high-paying career job, right? Your six-figure job, ladies. If you make it that far, you're doing very well. You live in a nice town home. You've got a nice car. You have respect from your peers. You have authority in the workplace, right? Whereas mom, stay-at-home mom, wakes up, frumpy hair, puts her jeans on, makes breakfast, cooks bagels. It's all she can do to get the kids out the door. But you know, it's, it's kind of a backward thinking because what is esteemed by man is not esteemed by God. Okay? Now, nothing against the career. Nothing against careers, ladies, at all. That's not my point. My point is, who do you think designed motherhood? Uh, God did. So if God designed the career of motherhood, and that's what it is, stay-at-home mom is a highly respected career. At least it is in my eyes, in the Bible's eyes, and in God's eyes. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about it. Okay? So let me just uh, I want to talk to you about this highly esteemed career, moms. Um, you know, I, I remember... It was uh, shortly after I got saved. I was uh, probably my late 20s, 27 years old. And I didn't really hang out with a lot of singles. I mean, I did some. I really would have messed up, especially if I had started dating because I didn't know anything. And I hung out with families. And God just did that. I mean, it was just by His grace that I hung out with families. And so there were a couple of families I would go to and... I was really ministered to when I would go into their house. One family was uh, the Muller family. Some of you may remember Cammie and Walter Muller. They lived in Pastor Willie's house before Pastor Willie did. And they had a home church there. It was a vineyard church plant. And so that's where I first went before I came here. And I remember uh, Cammie, you know, they had six kids, right? Now, I grew up in, we had six kids in our family. And, you know, my mom and dad, they did, they did a good job. But it really wasn't a, a Christian home. It was a moral home. But there was a difference in this family. And there was a peace there. There was a joy there. And watching, this, watching Cammie interact with her children and Walter, I, I hadn't seen anything like it before, ever. And, you know, because when you live 27 years in the world, and then you see like a Christian family 
it's like a strange, you know, it's a strange entity. So I was amazed, and uh, they really ministered to me, and I saw the love, and I saw the joy, and I saw the peace that this family had. Now, they weren't perfect, obviously, but they had something I didn't have, and I wanted it. And then there was another family I hung out with. Uh, some of you know the Sutton family. Um, once I, I started coming to Cornerstone, I, I met the Suttons. And I would go over, I would hang out at the Sutton family. I mean, that was entertainment for me. But, <laughs> okay. You know, what did you do on Friday night, John? Well, I went to the Suttons, okay. <laughs> and, but they had eight kids. And it, I, needed, I needed this. I mean, their kids would come and I would hold them in my lap. That's what I needed. That's where I was. And the love that they had in their household really ministered to me in a big way. And it's really a testimony to the man and woman of the household, and especially the woman, because a lot of times it's the woman who sets the precedent of love. And so I just want to share that to open up to honor moms because um, you don't think you're doing much, moms, sometimes. It's the same old stuck in the house. You know, Cammie said to me one time, she said, John, you know, because God made me to be a mouth, okay, a big mouth in the, in the kingdom. He, he did. I mean, he just gave me a mouth and said, use it. So, so I'm this mouth. So I'm at, I'm at Cammie's house one time at the life group. And Cammie said to me, I wish I, w- I could be out there. I wish I could serve and minister. And I feel like I'm trapped in my house and I can never really get out and serve. You know, it's, it's like she had six kids. I mean, you know, what's she going to be doing? <clears throat> and I said, Cammie, I said, what you have here? I said, God, God's got you in your house right now. And I said, He's bringing people into your house for you to minister to. And they go away and they spread it around. And I said, I'm a big mouth and I just, whatever I see here, I spread it all over the place. And I'm still spreading it 25 years later in honor of her and in honor of God. So, you know, moms, if you feel like those days where what's, you know, is this really worthwhile? I mean, (laughs) the struggle, the strain of it, raising the children, whatever the pain that you go through, the answer is yes, it is worthwhile. There are people like me looking. You have neighbors looking. And it is worthwhile, I'm telling you, because it ministered to me big time. So I just want to, that's my way of introduction to honoring you mothers and mothers to be, right, pay attention. Not looking at anybody in particular. (laughs) Okay. Today what I want to talk to you about is a woman who became a mother. And we're going to read about her story. Uh, She lived in a town called Shunem, which is north of Jerusalem uh, near Galilee. And it was in the days of Elisha the prophet. Okay, so the background is, you guys remember Elijah with the J. We have Elijah. He's got this ministry. And he's a prophet. So he brings the Word of God to the people of Israel. Right? Sometimes he's got to rebuke them. Whatever he needs to do. He does miracles. Well, you remember the story. Elisha was kind of his protege, hanging out with him. And right near the end of Elijah's life, um, he asked for this double portion. 
And Elijah's like, okay, if you're with me, when I go up in the chariot, I'm going to give you the double blessing. So you could imagine Elisha's like holding on to his belt and Elijah's dragging him all over the place. So Elijah goes here, Elijah goes there. Finally, the chariots of fire come. You know, Elijah lifts off the earth. Uh, Elisha's holding on. He lets go. He falls back down. <laughs> That's not quite how it happened. But um, Elisha was there. He saw Elijah go up. What is interesting is um, the mantle. Uh, the Bible uses the word mantle. It was a cloak. Elijah's cloak falls down. As Elijah goes up, it falls down. <laughs> Elisha catches it. And that was the symbol that he was the successor, successor to Elijah. He takes the, the cloak. He rolls it up. He strikes the Jordan and says, where's the God of Elijah? The Jordan River parts. And all of a sudden, Elisha is the man, the man of God. So, uh, and Elisha did more miracles than Elijah did. Elisha ministered for 50 years. Isn't that amazing? And it came to me, it's, it's kind of like Elisha was like the Billy Graham of our day. You know, how many years did Billy Graham minister? A lot, right? Without blemish. And it was the same with Elisha. All right, so that's the background information. Let's go to Second Kings and read about this woman. And moms, we're going to see what we can learn and be encouraged by. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8. Okay, now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem where there was a prominent woman. Okay, prominent means great. So she could have been wealthy. She could have been, uh, had a great reputation in the community. Okay, something like that. And she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was. As often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. I guess she was a good cook. She said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand and it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. Now this is kind of interesting. So this prominent woman sees this holy man. How does she, how does she know he's a holy man? He wears a sign on his shirt saying holy man, right? Well, it could have been by reputation. Everybody would have known about Elijah with a J. And probably everybody would have known about Elisha because of the miracles he did. But it could also be the way he was dressed. Prophets were a little bit strange. They had a certain prophet wardrobe that they went to. I mean, Elijah had his mantle, didn't he? And what did John the Baptist? He wore camel's hair and a belt and he ate locusts and wild honey. So... You know, there was some kind of prophetic wardrobe going on back then. But however she perceived that this was a man of God, she wanted to have him come stay at their house and feed him. She wanted to show hospitality to the guy. And, and it's not just hospitality. It, it said uh, Elijah, Elisha passed by continually, so her house was on his regular circuit as he was going to minister. Now you realize, Elisha was a kingmaker. Elisha spoke the word of God to kings. Okay, this guy is up there. He also spoke to the common man. So this is an important man. So she wants to minister to him. But not only that, so she says to her husband, hey, it's not enough to just bring the guy here and give him a lamb burger or whatever they had. 
Um, she said, why don't you go to Shunem, to the Home Depot, get some wood, let's build an addition and put this guy up, right? So they do. They hang a Thomas Kincaid painting in there. Not really, but... I mean, they're putting an addition on the house for this guy. Isn't that interesting? Okay. All right, so... What's the big deal about hospitality anyway? It actually is a big deal. Um, hospitality is a qualification for being an elder. Did you realize that? 1 Timothy 3.2. Let's, let's check this out. Because this is really important. Okay, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Isn't that cool? So anybody who wants to be an elder, you need to start practicing hospitality. So, I mean, why is hospitality a qualification for being an elder? Well, two reasons maybe come to my mind. One is I can sit up here behind this plexiglass podium here and give you guys the Word of God and maybe you think I'm spiritual, but then when I go home, you don't know what I'm like with my wife and my children. But if you come and live in my house and stay with me, right, you'll see what I'm really like. So there's actually an accountability function to showing hospitality. But I think what's going on with Timothy is this, that the Word of God needed to spread, right? The Gospel. And so you had these itinerant preachers going around, men and women, there were prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, just church people spreading the gospel and they needed a place to stay so they would show hospitality to these people. And in fact, if you look in 3 John 5-8, through 8, John writes this letter to a guy named uh, Gaius or Gaius. And it's exactly what I just said. He says, Beloved, he's talking to Gaius, Beloved, you are acting faithfully and whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. So they were going into Gaius' household, and it was a good thing for Gaius. He had a good report, right? So hopefully if you come stay in my house, you'll see some love, and if I blow it, hopefully I'll ask forgiveness. But they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, that's Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So what's, so big, what's the big deal about hospitality? We're helping people with the Gospel, spread the Gospel. Now, moms, you show hospitality, Right? you have the neighborhood kids come into your house. Do you not? Yes, you do. And you cook for the neighborhood kids, right? Yes, you do. And if they scrape their knees, you put Band-Aids on their knees, right? You know, I was thinking, my mom really was awesome. We had, we had a lot of friends that we played with growing up, and there were six of us. So six of us bringing our friends to our house. My mom was so good about cooking for all my friends, and she bandaged so many of us up because we were crazy, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and still are. 
<laughs> so, you know, moms, you are showing hospitality with your children's friends. But you've also had family in the homes. You show hospitality. You have extended family that comes. And maybe even you've had strangers come in your house. Uh, we, uh, Debbie and I have had strangers from different parts of the world come stay in our house. And I don't mean in a dangerous context. I mean in a, in a Christian context. And I know Lee and Jan, you guys have had people from all over the world come stay in your home. Guys, it's, it's, it's a blessing to show people hospitality. It really is. And I was, I was thinking about this. My supervisor at work, um, I helped him move uh, a couple weeks ago. And when I, when I found out he, he was buying a house, like he's, he's nearing retirement age, and I said, I, he, he lives in a townhome, right? And he wants to buy a bigger house. I said, what are you doing? I said, Norm, isn't it the other way around? Don't you have this backwards? You should be buying, you should be downsizing, right? You're ready to retire. He said, no. He said, me and my wife really want to show hospitality to people, and our, and our townhome is too small. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. He said, we, we want to house missionaries and send them on their way, just like 3 John 2,000 years ago, just like a Shunammite woman 2,600 years ago. And this next weekend is graduation at LU, right? So he is having people stay in his house to bless them. And guys, that is a blessing. You know what they do the hotel rates at graduation? They're four or $500 a night. And you can't, within a 200-mile radius, you can't find any place. I thought, well, I'm going to charge them 100 bucks a night and let them camp out in my backyard. <laughs> so <clears throat> so <I'm laughs> that's not hospitality, but... <laughs> That's uh, capitalism. <laughs> but anyway, you get the idea. There are people out there showing hospitality. Okay, so that's what this Shunammite, back to, back to the Shunammite woman, right? She wants to show hospitality to the man of God. And you know, I, I thought, well, let me, let me just keep going. I'll get to that thought in a second. All right, we're on verse uh, 11 through 16. All right, one day he came there and he turned into the upper chamber and he rested. That's Elisha. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for? to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. In other words, I'm in a community. I don't need anything. Everything's fine. Thank you. So he said, well, what is then to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. When he had called her, she stood at the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, 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 my Lord, O man of God. Do not lie to your maidservant. All right, let's, let's take a look at what's going on here. Elisha, you know, she's, she's caring for Elisha, right? Feeding him. They got the, putting him up, up in the uh, room that they built. And Elisha's like, well, hey, you fed us. 
I want to do something for you. Now the question is, is this like kind of a tit for a tat? You know how your friend treats you to lunch one day? What do you say? Oh, I got it next time, right? Don't we say that? And what did Jesus say about that? He said, uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And what credit is it to you to love those who love you back? It's not wrong to do do what I just said. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, is, is Elisha just kind of feeling guilty and it's like, well, she serves me, so I want to bless her? No, I don't think so. I think there's something really cool going on here. And it has to do with Abraham. Uh, God said to Abraham, whoever blesses you, what? I'll bless him. Whoever curses you, I'll curse him. This is an Israelite woman under the Abrahamic covenant. Right? God wants to bless this woman. And God is going to use Elisha to do it. And this is really cool. This is a really cool story. <clears throat> so, that's what's going on with, with Elisha saying this. Now, she says at first, I don't need anything. I mean, if she's a great, prominent woman, she probably has money. She has all the friends she needs. She has, I mean, she doesn't need anything. But she does. I believe this woman, the desire of her heart was to have children. Okay, that's my opinion. The desire of her heart was to have children. Because, look at her reaction when Elisha says you're going to have a child. What does she do? It's almost like she panics. She says, don't lie to, you. Don't lie to me. Don't say that. Why would she say that? Because maybe she was afraid of being disappointed if it didn't come to pass, right? Or... Maybe there's something deeper going on there. Maybe maybe she felt guilty that the reason she couldn't have children was somehow her fault. You know, don't, we, don't we get that way sometimes? We blame ourselves for something. Um, especially having children, ladies. And, and even medically, if someone can't have a child. And maybe you know your husband wants children and maybe you want children. Wouldn't you feel bad because you can't have children? And that, that's, that's difficult. So we're not really sure what's going on, but there's something in her heart that God wants to deal with. And He's going to use Elisha to bless her physically, and He's also going to use Elisha to show this woman that she can trust God, and God's going to heal her heart. And we're going to see how that comes out in the end. So it's pretty cool what, what God's going to do with this. <clears throat> All right, let's keep reading here. So we did 11 through 16 and 17. Let's do 18 through 21. When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. All right, typical dad. Get the boy to his mother. Don't bother me with this. I mean, she'll take. I mean, moms, you are the caretaker, are you not? Yes, you are. Dad is out in the field. He's sweating. I mean, dad's working hard, right? But mom, you are the one that shows compassion. You are the one that bandages the child. You are the one that holds the child when he cries. You are the one that does all that stuff. Dad's like, just, just take him away. You know, 
we need a Father's Day message coming up here. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so, um, carry him away to his mother. Verse 19, 20. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. I mean, this is like so abrupt. Then uh, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. I mean, okay, so Elisha says, you're going to have a child. She's like, no, don't even tell me that. It's too painful because if it, if it doesn't happen, I can't handle it. He's like, you're going to have a child. She has the child. The child grows up. The child gets sick. The child's on her lap. She's, she's holding the child. She's comforting the child. The child dies. I mean, let's, isn't that our worst fear that this child will be taken away from her? And it comes to pass. Now, if, if you didn't know God, that's cruel. That's a cruel world. I mean, that's, that's not, there's, there's something not right with this. But because we do know God, there's something good happening here. Even though right now it looks terrible, there's really something very good going on. And it just, it doesn't say she grieved at all. Okay? She lays this child where? On her bed? Why does she lay the child on Elisha's bed? Well, here's my theory, okay? It doesn't say, but here's my sanctified guess. That is, she realized that it was a miracle that she had this child to begin with through Elisha. So when the child died, I believe there was a spark or a seed of faith and hope in this woman that somehow the man of God could make this situation right. So she's going to put him on Elisha's bed, which represents, it's almost a foreshadowing of what God is going to do through Elisha for this child. Okay, again, sanctified uh, <clears throat> guess, my, my educated guess here. All right, so let's keep going here. Verse 22. Then she called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. Well, he said, Well, why do you want to go to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, Everything's all right. It's well. It's, it's, it's under control. Don't worry about it. Okay, wait a minute. Why? <laughs> now, if my child died and my wife didn't tell me about it, I'd be a little bit upset, okay? <laughs> what is going on with this woman? I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I think because she has this hope, I believe she has a strong hope that the man of God, Elisha, can do something. And I believe she does not want to burden her husband with this. I believe she's going to let him do his thing. She's going to take care of this. It's, it's kind of between her and God, her and Elisha type of a thing. And she's going to finish, she's going to finish this thing. Um, so <laughs> he's left out in the dark. <laughs> so verse 23 uh, why will you go to him? It will be well. Verse 24, She saddles a donkey and says to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. What's she saying? Look, put the, 
pedal to the metal and let's get on with this thing. Don't slow down for potholes, rocks, scorpions, or snakes. Let's, we need to move it here. All right. Verse 25. So she went and came to the man of God to Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. So he tells Gehazi, hey, go meet the Shunammite. All right, verse 27. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. She, she fell down. It's like she tackled him. She tried to tackle him. Not really, but she, she grabbed his feet. That's what she did. And Gehazi came near to push her away. She's like, get, get away. Get off him. But the man of God said, let her alone. How many times did Jesus have to tell people, let her alone? Man, we really need to learn something about this, okay? Let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Okay, what's going on? Why is the woman grabbing the man's feet? What's really going on here? Well, she's desperate, right? I think she's desperate. But what's driving her desperation, it's not a despair where there's no hope. It's a desperation because there is hope. It's like the woman with the flow of blood. Remember, they were packed around Jesus. You know, you could hardly walk. Everyone's packed around. Somehow this woman pushes through all these big smelly men, grabs the hem of His garment, and gets healed. Power goes out of Jesus, right? I, because she was desperate. Desperation with faith is a great thing. Desperation without hope is a terrible thing. Okay? This woman had some hope. She wasn't going to let go. She didn't care about Gehazi. And neither did Elijah. Get, let her alone, man. The woman's in torment here. Alright, verse 28, she's a little frustrated. Then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Look, Elijah, you said you were going to give me a son. I said, don't disappoint me. You gave me a son. Now the son dies. I mean, is what, what's going on here? What are you going to do about this? I'm throwing this back in your face, Elijah. That's what she's doing. She's taking it back to him. He started this thing, and, she, and in her mind, he's going to finish this thing, right? In a good way. Alright, so then he tells Gehazi, hey, go on ahead, take the staff and lay it on the boy's face. And then I'll follow with the woman. Okay, so they go off. And then in verse uh, verse. 32. We'll pick it back up. Gehazi goes to the house. He puts the staff on the boy's face. Nothing happens. The boy doesn't come back to life. Okay, so they, Elisha and the woman finally get there. Verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both. And he what? Yeah, you know, I think... Sometimes when we pray for the sick, I mean, it's a great thing to do, 
But sometimes we should pray before we pray, maybe. Pray before we pray to see what God wants to do with the sick person. Because what Elisha is about to do is very strange. But I believe that as he prayed, God told him what to do. Okay? So he entered and he shut the door, prayed to the Lord, and he went and he lay on top of the child. He put his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself. He's laying on top of this boy. That's kind of weird, right? And then the flesh of the child became warm. But it doesn't say the child got up. So now the child is either asleep or he's in a coma. His heart came back, apparently. It's like this two-stage healing. You guys know sometimes in Scriptures there's two stages of healing. You guys remember Jesus prayed for one person that was blind. And it said he, he went about, he saw men as trees walking. And then Jesus prayed for him again. Isn't that weird? You ever wonder why that happened? I have no idea why that happened. But it happened with Elijah. So Elijah gets off the kid. The kid's warm, but he's just laying there. <laughs> so Elijah paces back and forth again. And I'm guessing he prays. It doesn't say he prays, but I'm sure he was. Um, verse 35. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth. And he went and stretched himself on him. And the lad sneezed seven times. And the lad opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground. And she took up her son and went out. Isn't that... I mean, that's, that's, we needed that happy ending, didn't we? It would have been a terrible ending if that kid had been buried. <laughs> Just a terrible, terrible ending. Um, <clears throat> but what is really going on here? There's something more than just this story. And I, I alluded to it. Uh, I, I really believe this is the theme of the story. Remember when Jesus said, if you ask for a loaf of bread, what will your Heavenly Father give you? Is He going to give you a snake or a scorpion? No. I believe this the desire of this woman's heart was to have a child. God knew it. He raises up Elisha, sends Elisha to this woman. And by the way, who, this woman is called prominent, but there's no, uh, this woman is not referenced in the Bible at all by anybody. You, you guys know Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the Hall of Faith, right? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rahab, Moses, all these men and women of God are there. She's not there. Jesus doesn't talk about her. Nobody talks about this woman. She's just an ordinary woman. And I think God wanted it that way. But what she did, and what God did through her, is so important that 2,600 years later, you got this mouth up here on stage blabbing what God did to this woman through Elisha, right? And this is what He did. She has this desire to be healed. God sees it and gives her the child. He exposes her fear. He exposes whatever was troubling her heart. He takes the child away not to be cruel, but to encourage this woman 
to go to God. Okay? He wants to show her that God is good, that God will give her the desires of her heart. And so as she presses in through her desperation, through her hope, through her faith, she pushes through and she sees the goodness of God and she gets her son back. And honestly, I, I believe that's exactly what is going on. She learned to trust God and that God was going to take care of her and God was going to bless her. <clears throat> it's an awesome story. So how can we, what can we take from this? Well, it's obviously... Uh, moms, you have fears. We all do. Um, you have things in your life, maybe shame sometimes that wants to hold you back. God wants to bless you, moms. Let, let me just say it, okay? God wants to bless you. And maybe sometimes you feel like you don't deserve the blessing because you feel like you did something wrong and maybe you really did do something wrong. Here's the thing. Here's what Satan does. Say you do something wrong, and it's it's real. You sin, and Satan comes. You disgusting scumbag. And you're like, yeah, you're right. I'm a disgusting scumbag. You don't deserve anything. You're right. I don't deserve anything. Is that the way we should be? As soon as Satan calls you a disgusting scumbag, you say yes. That's right. In my flesh. I'm a disgusting scumbag. But you know what? That gives so much more glory to God because He died for me. Just where I was as a disgusting scumbag. He died for this disgusting scumbag and saying, I'm going to be with Him in paradise and you're going to be in a lake of fire. So get out of my face. That's what you need to do, Mom. So when God wants to bless you, and He does, it doesn't matter what you've done, the mistakes that you've made. Your heart is to bless your children. You want to raise your children. You want to be a good wife and a good mother. You want to be a blessing in the community and in the church. And you are. And you will be. The scripture says, leaving those things which are behind. So whatever mess you've made, you confess it. You repent. You're forgiven, right? You can't wallow in guilt. You can't wallow in shame. You can't wallow in undeserving feelings and thoughts because that's not trusting God. God's already forgiving you. So why would you condemn yourself if God doesn't condemn you? Isn't that amazing? You guys realize not even God can condemn us? You say, well, yes, he, no, He can't. He cannot condemn us because He already condemned His Son in our place. He can't condemn me because Christ was condemned for me. I ask forgiveness. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And He says, go and sin no more. I'm like, okay, I'll go and sin no more. So leaving those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. And that's what God has for you moms, for you other ladies, for you men, for you youth, all of us. Alright, so how can I close this up? I just want to speak a blessing from Scripture over the moms. This could be for all the ladies too. It's in Proverbs 31, chapter 25. Strength and dignity, moms, are your clothing. 
You open your mouth, moms, in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on your lips. You look well to the ways of your household, moms, and you don't eat the bread of idleness. You work hard. And we see that. Moms, your children will rise up and have rised up to call you blessed. Your husband, mom, will praise you saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, mom, that's you, but a woman who fears the Lord, mom, shall be praised. Give her, we give you, moms, today the product of your hands and we will let the works praise you at the gate. So, I speak that right now here in this church that we honor you, moms. This church honors you. Your family honors you. Your children honors you. And God honors you because He designed the career. You rose up. You accepted it. And you're fulfilling it. And you're going to fulfill it. Do I hear an amen, mom? That's a good place for an amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.